All right, thanks for joining us, everybody. We are live here from the KFES Digital News Desk, and we're here with Jason Sides. He is a professor at Southeast Missouri State um, University, and uh, he is in the political science department there. Jason, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? Doing just fine. Doing just fine. Um, and we, of course, here are busy in the newsroom getting ready for tomorrow's elections, getting ready to, to cover everything that will be going on and, and, and happening as an outcome of voters' decisions. One of the things that I wanted to do was to get a, a, an expert eye as far as what folks are going to be looking at on ballot measures because that's one area where we may show up and you know there are certain elements that we weren't expecting or certain kind of language around it that we weren't expecting, whereas, you know, getting ready for it, we, we knew about certain items that were on there. But, uh, you know, as we, as we look at things, we, we uh, may have questions about them. And I thought that was a, a worthwhile thing to take a look at. And so, uh, Jason, thank you for being here for that. We appreciate that. Um, just to start things off, I wanted to, and let me go ahead real quick. Um, I wanted to read this as well, but for Amendment 1, actually, excuse me, that is Amendment 4, but uh, Amendment 1, let's see if I can find it in order here. That should, well, uh, appears not to be, but uh, that's number 3. But uh, first off, the first amendment that voters will decide on regard, is in respect to the General Assembly having the ability to override current constitutional, constitutional restrictions of state investments by the state treasurer. Um, now, when we look at questions of, you know, impact on voters and kind of the outcome of, of voters' decisions on this, what, what, do we, what do we see? What are the, the, the uh, what, are, what are voters weighing in this one as far as what it means for the state? Well, I think one of the things we have to keep in mind is that the results of the vote on Amendment 1 or any of the other amendments are going to be influenced by those people who go out to the polls tomorrow, right? Um, this being an off-year election, the first one in the president's term, I think we're going to have a electorate appear at the ballot that's going to be a little bit more mobilized to vote against the president. And so you're going to have a more Republican-leaning um, group of voters, I think, tomorrow. Now, with Amendment 1, I don't know that that's going to really matter all that much. Um, what we see with Amendment 1 is the legislature has placed this on the ballot, and it will allow um, some borrowing of secure municipal treasuries to be undertaken by the state treasurer. So this is going to be a very technical kind of issue. Um, I think most of the people who are going to vote tomorrow are going to look at this and say, you know what, I don't really know all that much about it, so I'm probably going to either pass or vote no because I'm a little doubtful about what it means. Typically, in a lot of these amendments, you know, people aren't as familiar with the issue. They will either just not vote or vote no because they don't want to enact something. Um, that they're unaware of or unsure of. And I think you're going to see that there's going to be a significant number of voters who do that. Um, now, is this a an amendment issue that's going to be useful for the state? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's going to allow a little bit more flexibility in generating some 
um, revenue for the state coffers um, and also local governments as well with very little risk. But I think the problem is going to be that most people voting tomorrow are just not going to be that familiar with it. Sure. And uh, one of the things, and I don't know if you would have, you know, necessarily a generalization or, or perhaps a uh, uh, something more than a generalization as far as um, how people would tend to vote when they don't have that background information? Is it something where people would leave it blank or is it something something where they would just go ahead and you know if, if this is something that the legislature is going for they would say yes or something because they don't know they would vote no. Is there is there a, a typical kind of wisdom of the crowd that people generally lean towards in those situations? Yeah, I mean, when the folks, the voters, are a little bit unsure, they tend to just not vote or vote no. And if you look at the literature on, you know, amendments and ballot issues, um, the logic that people put forward is that people or the voters just don't want to do any harm. So either not voting or voting in the negative is seen by most people as a way to avoid kind of um, adopting something that may prove detrimental to their interests. Now, the one thing about this is you mentioned the legislature, and for I, th I think most of the public would have a hard time linking this particular issue to a legislator that they're really familiar with or that they're really connected to. Um, if this was a higher profile politician who is attached to this issue, then that politician be, might be able to swing some of their supporters over to um, get this amendment over the line, right? Um, if this were a popular politician here in, say, Missouri, like, I don't know, um, maybe Senator Blunt or somebody of that stature who is advocating for this, then I think a lot of people would go along with them and say, there must be something to this. But because this is just connected to the legislature broadly, I don't think that that's going to influence enough people to actually come out and say, you know what, the legislature is right. Sure. I'm going to vote for this. So I think that's, that's hard. There was no real high-profile politician pushing this issue, and I think that's going to cause some difficulty for it. All right. Um, then looking ahead, we, we quickly there following up with the perhaps more uh, technical amendment, we go to the one that I know lots of eyes are on, and that is dealing with um, the, the legalization of marijuana in Missouri. And when it comes to that, you know, first of all, they, they address within the ballot itself um, the question of basically, you know, eliminating those, those laws prohibiting it, and then talking about the taxation on it. Um, and, you know, so there are several several elements within this particular measure. Um, so, in essence, what are we what are we looking at as far as the decision that voters are making, not only with regards to the legality of marijuana, but uh, within the context of uh, how it would be handled? Then, I think what's interesting about Amendment Three is, you know, you kind of uh, made reference to this. It's a multi-layered amendment, right? And in a lot of instances, you don't necessarily see as much um, effort made to connect different aspects of a policy issue together in one particular amendment. Usually they're not as 
thought out as this one appears to be. Now, that is great from a policy angle, that it is this well-developed and this thought out, right? Um, it does touch upon a number of issues that will be important for people um, to consider when they go and cast their ballot. So for instance, like one of the things that they talk about is establishing a lottery selection process to award licenses and certificates to business franchises that want to get involved in this um, particular industry. You know, the fact that that's in there, along with talking about removing state prohibitions on um, purchasing and possessing and consuming marijuana, shows a very, very thorough approach. That's great for public policy. Now, the one thing that that is going to do is that's going to require a lot of folks to kind of read into this particular amendment and um, to kind of study up to get the full grasp of what is being proposed in this particular amendment. Now, normally I might say, if this wasn't related to marijuana, normally I might say that people may not have the incentive to kind of put forth that time to become an expert in an amendment which is this comprehensive. But I think given the subject matter, what we're likely to see is that people who are interested in reforming the um, laws regarding marijuana consumption, sales, and then removing um, nonviolent offenses, or allowing for the possibility of removing nonviolent um, offenders from jail. I think those folks who have an interest in all of those issues are probably going to put forth the effort to look at this amendment, become well-versed in it, and go to the polls. So I think the difference here with Amendment 3 is that there's a built-in group of voters who have an interest in this issue broadly, but are going to then take that interest and use it to become more um, versed in what this particular amendment is going to allow to happen. So my guess is this one's probably got a better shot um, simply because there's a pent-up constituency. They're going to be able to kind of put forth a little bit of time and see that this is a pretty comprehensive um, amendment that's going to redefine the laws in this particular policy area. All right. Um, so when it comes to issues like this, maybe one thing that comes to mind is, say, the you know you've got you've got certain um, certain political uh, geo geographically political uh, places where one thinks maybe the population of say St. Louis combined with Kansas City you know maybe Springfield some of these different um, urban uh, centers uh, would be more likely to you know boost that uh, a measure like this you know over the the goal line towards towards the intended destination uh, per the uh, activists behind it. But um, with all of that in mind, is that too simplistic of a view? Is it something where we would be looking at a lot more dynamic across the entire state as far as how Missourians would be addressing you know, this issue, how they may be deciding on this issue? So I think what's kind of interesting about Missouri now is that Missouri is kind of undergoing, well, every state is actually undergoing um, transformation politically from one election to the next. And Missouri is no different. 
I think what you're seeing in Missouri that's kind of interesting is that some of the younger folks who might be expected to vote Republican um, are starting to display more of a libertarian streak. So I think that some of those folks who might be leaning Republican, younger folks in rural areas, might be a little bit more willing to kind of um, allow for some reform regarding the laws dealing with marijuana consumption and possession because they're moving in a more libertarian direction. That's going to kind of complicate things, right? Um, that's going to make it the case that there's going to be some voters throughout the rural areas, um, younger voters specifically, but younger rural voters who are probably going to say, you know what, I think that this particular policy area should be reformed in this way, and so they will likely vote yes. You add that on to voters in, say, Kansas City, Springfield, Columbia, um, and that will move it towards, you know, clearing the threshold um, to get a positive outcome. But I think that's one thing that we have to keep in mind is that, you know, the younger voters in Missouri are starting to display more of a libertarian streak, especially on the Republican side. And I think you're going to see that manifest itself when we look at some of the rural counties and see a higher vote percentage for Amendment 3 than we would expect given the other voting trends that we observe um, in different races tomorrow. All right. Um, and. One of the interesting things, I think, going back to what you had been speaking about originally, about how the comprehensiveness, all of the different elements, um, kind of contribute to how willing voters may be to, to you know, allow this because it, it has a specific plan, it has this specific um, set of, you know, uh, you know, basically a, 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 a goal plan, you know. So um, all of that in mind. So, so that, in this case, I'd be interested, and in, in maybe you can speak to this uh, kind of, I guess, curiosity, perhaps, is the, the best way to put it. Because I guess one of the things, to my mind, with that, is there, is there a rough edge in terms of, um, say, there's a specific section um, that someone might disagree with. Do, does that kind of comprehensiveness, does that kind of um, detail ever result in something that, you know, maybe something that voters would just be, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, so opposed to that they would not vote for it. I guess it's just kind of perhaps, the, it, it may be too much to generalize again about <laughs> kind of to, to bring it back to that. But yeah, I, I'd be curious just to see if they're, you know, it, but based on the kind of dynamics that we would expect with that, uh, if, there, if that is, uh, you know, something that is con considerable, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, one thing we can see in some amendments across the nation that are more comprehensive, like Amendment 3, is that in some instances there will be poison pills in those amendments that um, some group of voters who would otherwise support the amendment are just going to back away from, right? Um, you may have an amendment that is well thought out, well constructed, and then contain a provision that some number of people will just not support, and that will cause them to move to the no category. Now, I think looking over Amendment 3, what's going to be interesting about this is that 
a lot of the potential um, poison pills are probably going to relate to a sense among some voters that the lottery selection process is going to um, favor people who are already involved in the, the industry to some degree, right? Um, existing dispensaries or people with um, existing ties to the industry. And that will minimize the chance that marginalized communities will have an equal shot to um, see some of their community members be awarded licenses to, you know, um, licenses and certificates to sell marijuana. So I think, you know, that's one maybe potential concern some people might have is that if this is enacted, the lottery selection will already favor people with wealth, people with existing businesses or people with connections. Now, whether that's large enough to um, scare some voters to vote no, when in fact the bulk of the amendment is something they favor, I doubt. I think what you're likely going to see tomorrow is that the folks who are going to be no's are going to be hard no's across the board. These are people, I'm guessing, that are probably going to say, look, um, just there's enough here from the start for me to object. I think a lot of the other folks who are going to look at this are either strong yeses or after having looked at the provisions will say, okay, this seems like a pretty, um, well, this seems like a pretty rational attempt to make more sense out of the laws surrounding marijuana in Missouri. I don't know that there's, like I said, I don't know that there's anything here that's going to scare off a lot of otherwise yes votes into the no category. Um, looking at how this is structured, I think what you're likely going to see is, you know, a pretty strong divide reflecting generational differences. And I think that's going to be where it's going to be interesting is because Missouri's slightly older state than some other states. So I think yeah, there's enough there moving towards no, but what's likely going to end up tipping it is maybe, like I said earlier, some of those younger middle-aged Republicans who are more libertarian in some of their outlooks going over to the yes side. Sure. Um, okay, so I would also just briefly mention, or I guess uh, ask last, is so with, with an amendment like this, you know, at the very end when it addresses the taxes that, uh, or rather, I, I suppose, a single tax, but uh, when it talks about there being a tax on uh, marijuana sales in this the hypothetical passage, um, is that something where there is a specific direction um, for the Missouri legislature to take as far as addressing that, or is, there, is, the, is that something that is left open for, you know, future decisions? Um, from my understanding, there's going to be a 6% tax listed in the um, ballot summary. So I think, you know, as far as my understanding, I think that's pretty solid right now. Now, what I think is going to be interesting about this is that we are in a political climate where a lot of folks are focused on, you know, the price of different things going up and outpacing their earning income. So my guess would be not many people are going to be paying attention 
to how much revenue is generated, right? Um, I think, you know, a lot of voters are going to say, okay, you know, generally, ideologically, do I agree that we ought to rationalize these laws or do I think we ought to tighten them down? I think some of these more technical and financial components, if we were in a different election environment, would probably be more of a topic of discussion. But given the unique climate we're in, I don't know that that's really going to play into a lot of people's minds. Um, my guess is tomorrow what we're going to see in Missouri is what we're going to see in a lot of states. And that is people coming to the polls. And these are going to be voters who are angry about the um, economic climate that they're facing. And so I think they're going to be focused on trying to hold somebody accountable for the fact that items that they you know, got used to paying a certain amount for are skyrocketing. That kind of anger, I think, is going to overwhelm the number, or the likelihood, I should say, overwhelm the likelihood that people are going to get into that kind of consideration of how revenues are going to be influenced. All right, moving along then to uh, amendment number four. This one may be another one of those technical ones, but I guess it's always good to have that in mind whenever you're going out to the polls and, what, and knowing uh, about um, kind of what's, what you're getting into. Uh, but uh, in this, this regards to um, Missouri Constitution being amended to authorize laws passed before December 31st, 2026, increase uh, minimum funding for a police force established by State Board of Police Commissioners. Is this spe so this specifically deals with um, a single police force or is this something that um, deals with various police departments that uh, and how their, I guess, minimum uh, funding would, would be addressed in the future? So my understanding of this particular amendment is that it's only going to impact Kansas City's police force. Okay. Um, so it's my understanding that this is only going to be relevant for the police force out in Kansas City. But what's interesting about this particular um, amendment is that it is kind of converging with voter sentiment. And what I mean by that is that nationally there's a, this sense among a growing number of voters that the issue of crime is out of control, right? Um, a lot of voters are kind of concerned that, you know, the police have been defunded to a degree or that the police are not receiving the support that they need, right? Whether that's accurate or not, you know, that's a different question. But among the public, there is that sense. So I think as people kind of skim Amendment 4, while they're looking at their ballot or as they look at the um, perspective ballot as they enter the polling location i think what they're going to look at is a discussion of the increase in minimum funding for a police force and they're not going to necessarily realize that this is only going to impact kansas city but i think um, a lot of people are going to react to this by voting yes to support law enforcement so I think this one's probably going to pass largely as a result of a lot of voters thinking that, um, you know, law enforcement or the law enforcement community hasn't been supported to the degree it could. So I think this is going to be one where there's going to be more yes votes because of the environment that we're in. Whereas some of the others, I think it's going to be more of a negative 
for the proponents of those other amendments that the this election or these amendments were placed on the ballot in this election. I think Amendment 4's supporters are going to kind of, um, well, they're going to have more yes votes than otherwise would be the case because, you know, a lot of the public is of the opinion that law enforcement hasn't been supported to the degree it could. All right. Um, quick note that I believe that we will be continuing shortly after uh, with regards to the Facebook live stream, everyone. So if you are watching on um, the the live channel on Roku, Amazon Fire, those different uh, smart TV locations. We are going to be turning it over to Heartland News at 6. Um, but I did want to finish up uh, briefly with some of these last questions on the ballot. The next one has to do with the National Guard being under the Missouri Department of Public Safety. And this amendment would take it and make it its own department. Um, what kind of I guess ramifications would that kind of restructuring place? Would it be a matter of autonomy for the National Guard? Um, what, would, what would be kind of the outcome or the intention as well? Well, I think the thing that's interesting about that is that if this amendment is approved, it would create an executive department for the National Guard that would report directly to the governor rather than the Missouri Department of public uh, safety. So I think what's interesting about that is that given the given the possibility that there might be a need to call the National Guard out, um, what you're going to see is that this is going to be more linked to the governor and um, well, it's going to be more under the control of the governor now. So this is going to be another instance in which the governor is going to have to demonstrate leadership and communicate to the public why they've mobilized the National Guard in particular situations. I think it's probably going to be beneficial from the standpoint of providing a little bit more responsiveness to the overall governing apparatus um, in terms of working with the National Guard. You know, the governor is going to be able to interact with the leaders of the National Guard a little bit more quickly because they are directly reporting to the governor. And so I think from a managerial standpoint, that makes a lot of sense. Um, depending on what the National Guard is going to be asked to do by the governor, I think this is going to be beneficial because it can allow that process of forging what the expectations are between the leaders of the National Guard and the governor to kind of emerge much more rapidly. So I think this is going to add some degree of responsiveness and also a clearer line of accountability. So from a managerial standpoint, this you know seems like a good, good call. Sure. And uh, I'll remove this pop-up here. Running out of time shortly. I guess that's that uh, mandatory. Uh, um, you know, the clock is ticking. Uh, final countdown sort of thing. But uh, all, all of that um, playing into it. But uh, I suppose. We do want to touch on for sure one that I found interesting that I hadn't um, heard much about in, at all, and that is the the final measure regarding the Constitutional Convention um, as I suppose a, a measure. And so it, it reads: uh, Shall there be a convention to re revise and amend the Constitution? And so is this um, this is this is talking about like an Article Five convention, correct, within the the Constitution? 
So this is going to um, this is going to be an amendment that will allow for the convention to be called. And I think the last time this occurred was in 2002, if I'm not mistaken. And voters rejected the call for a convention by a fairly wide margin. Um, I believe it was like two to one. I'd have to check to be absolutely sure. But what's interesting about this is that every 20 years, um, Missouri voters are going to be asked whether they want to call a constitutional convention. So if we compare 2002 to 2022, do we expect voters to be so outraged that they're going to tomorrow say, you know what, we demand another constitutional convention? I'm not entirely certain that that's going to happen. The economy in Missouri is going um, fairly well compared to some of the neighboring states. And I think most folks are going to be more focused on the federal um, government anyway, that in all likelihood, you're going to see another no vote on this particular issue, ballot issue. I think most people are going to be satisfied. They're going to focus on the federal governments as their source of their discomfort. And they'll vote no in this, and uh, Missouri will get another 20 years without a constitutional convention. But it's great that this is on the ballot because it does give us, as you know, residents of the state, the option to say, "Look, we do need a constitutional convention if things are going that poorly." So the fact that there's a possibility of doing this is a great nod to that democratic spirit that animates the country and our governing system. I just don't think it's going to happen this time. Certainly. And uh, so, yeah, just to clarify, because when I first had read this, I basically had assumed that it had to do with uh, a broader conventions of the state's effort. You know what I mean? Like that the within the federal framework. But th this is just basically part of Missouri's own process, Missouri's own constitution, um, and uh, voter satisfaction with it. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're going to see that generally there are, you know, a lot of voters that are pretty satisfied with the trajectory of things in Missouri. Now, does Missouri have some challenges? Sure. Does Missouri have some opportunities that um, will benefit future generations of uh, Missourians? Yeah, sure. I think things are going well enough here that most people are not going to want to call a constitutional convention. Um, you know, especially when you compare Missouri to some of the neighboring states, we do have advantages that other states don't have. So why throw that up into the air by calling a constitutional convention? You can't guarantee the outcome of a constitutional convention necessarily. So why risk what seems to be working? And this this kind of, it's interesting because when, when we look at that as that, recurring factor you know here we we've been voting within the framework of 20 years on various amendments you know different changes in peace i suppose what what this kind of represents then is basically um a, an opportunity i suppose as far as voter satisfaction you know if you want to rewrite write the last 20 years or and up until the last time the missouri constitution was written this this is that um I guess plug that could be pulled, but is a is a fairly uh, substantive and heavy uh, plug to, to to pull, I suppose, as far as uh, keeping a check on on those sorts of things going on. 
yeah, it's kind of like a circuit breaker, right? Um, if something's going terribly wrong with the state and our government's not able to deal with whatever that issue is, then conceivably, it, the next, you know, 2042, we could all go to the polls and vote, yes, we're going to hold another constitutional convention to address some of the new and emerging concerns that Missouri is dealing with since 2022, right? Um, the possibility of allowing that kind of, that mechanism to address needed change is going to be important because it does provide a layer of safety for the public. What I also like about this, and not every state has something like this, but what I also like is that, you know, we have the possibility um, if things are going poorly, but it's also going to be asked infrequently enough that there's not much of a likelihood of anyone kind of manipulating this process to benefit only a small sector of the voting public. If this is going to pass in the future, it's likely going to be the result of widespread dissatisfaction among various voting groups. So at least if it passes in the future, it's likely the case that a lot of people are going to be of the opinion that, look, we've got to do better, and so we'll call this convention. Um, it minimizes the likelihood that anyone's going to be able to hijack such a process for their own ends. And, you know, that makes me as a political science professor feel a little bit better about this sure. process. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else to mention today before we wrap up? Well, no, the one thing I'd kind of remind everyone is if you haven't voted, please get out to the polls. Um, exercise your voice. There are a lot of uh, parts of the world where we're, where people don't have that right. So just get out and kind of add your voice to our great experiment and, um, you know, get ready for an interesting uh, day tomorrow. All right, wonderful. Jason Sides, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you making the time. No, thanks for having me on, and uh, I was glad to kind of share some information with the uh, public. All right, wonderful. He is with uh, Southeast Missouri State University, associate professor there in the Department of Political Science, Philosophy, and Religion. We thank you all for tuning in as well. Uh, we appreciate you all. Stick around and uh, stay with us tomorrow. Tune in, and we will be covering the, uh, the election top to bottom all, all around, and uh, it'll be a, a packed evening full of updates as it's happening.